Welcome to the Forge Leadership Podcast and this brand new series focusing on emerging leaders from the millennial generation. Simon Barrington is joined today by Johnny Abbott, who's not only an emerging leader in his own right, but is about to become our new co-host on the podcast. So welcome to the Forge Leadership Podcast. Today I'm joined by Johnny Abbott. Uh, Johnny, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Johnny's going to be joining me um, in hosting these podcasts as we go forward. So that's going to be great fun. It's going to be lots of fun. Lots of fun. Looking forward to a lot of learning and meeting a lot of people. Fantastic. And on this series of the Forge Podcast, we're going to be uh, specifically talking to millennial leaders. So Johnny, you're you're a millennial? I'm a millennial. I, I think I count in that bracket. Do on you? one side of it, depending on it, because millennials, the span goes for ages. And so I've had some people telling me that I'm a really young millennial. Some people saying I'm quite central. But so what for those at home, I'm, I'm 1994, which you can either work out or I could just tell you I'm 24 <laughs> and, uh, and save you a bit of maths on the calculator. Yeah, so, so millennials in our research was from 1984 to 2000. So yeah, yeah I'm right in the, in the middle. middle. Yeah, Are I can't. Yeah. And tell us what you currently do, Joey. Cool. So I work at a church called the Forge Community Church. We uh, have multiple locations across Suffolk, in Debenham, in Thurston, and the location that I'm honoured enough to lead uh, in a place called I. Spelt like the I. I or uh, E-Y-E? E-Y-E, spelt like the the, um, the body part, um, which is actually a small market town uh, on the sort of Suffolk-Norfolk border in the middle of, of what feels like nowhere sometimes, about an hour away from Norwich, about an hour away from Ipswich. Wow, right in the middle of nowhere. And nobody goes to Ipswich, do they, or, or I, or anything on their way to anywhere, really, do they? Uh, if you go from Ipswich to Norwich, then you'll probably go next to I. Um, so <laughs> on the A140, you'll see. But it's a lovely place, a really brilliant place, lots of stuff going on, and uh, a great community. Brilliant. So we're hoping uh, during this series that uh, we're going to talk to lots of millennial leaders and uh, talk about some of the challenges and struggles that they have, and we're going to co-host that together. Um, but we want to learn about you, first of all, okay? So, uh, Johnny, tell us, um, uh, how did you come to be pastor of a church in I age 24? 24, 24, yeah. So uh, how far back do you go? Um, uh, so I guess, so from, from an early early age, uh, always interested in, in church leadership. And so grew up in a Christian family and, uh, and really sort of traditional church kids, um, uh, church kid background from, from that idea. Uh, and then maybe about sort of the age of 15, 16, tensions were brought into there on whether church was the thing for me or not, was really interested in my rugby and the rest of it, uh, but really came through opportunities that other people gave me that I really didn't deserve that made me think, hey, this could be something that um, I just want to do. I didn't really have a language for it. I uh, didn't have a, uh, an approach for it, didn't have any knowledge by it, uh, but just saw what other people did and thought, I want to be able to do that sort of stuff. So that's really interesting, because in the research that we've done over the last mm. year, practically every millennial leader said, um, somebody somewhere just saw something in me and gave me mm. an opportunity, and that was the start of it. So who did that for you, mm. and what kind of opportunity was it? Mm. Yeah, where you first said, hmm, interestingly, this church leadership, this leadership stuff, this could be something I do. Mm. And so I didn't even have a language for that then. It okay. was more of just a case of I like what they did and uh, and they sort of asked me probably because they were desperate. Um, <laughs> uh, and so uh, people like Emily Hanna, Dave Hanna, um, people like Claire Earl, Simon yeah. Harris, yeah. Um, uh, John Ducker, yeah. uh, uh, um, uh, Tim Gosden even yeah. when he, from a sort of a music perspective but back when I was, uh, I was a bit younger as well. Um, those people, sort of friends, people, I knew from church, people I knew from uh, different connections 
uh, it was those people that uh, I thought, oh man, those guys are um, seem to have it all together. I want to be like them when I grow up. Uh, and it was, I, I can remember actually going to church and hearing uh, the pastor I grew up with, Simon Harris, speak. Uh, and also listening to other speakers online, uh, just through chance. It wasn't that I was holy enough as a 14-year-old to go searching for them. Um, it was just sort of, I was around people who were pushing me into them, I guess, a little bit. But um, but can remember hearing those guys speak and being interested. Uh, and that wasn't something I ever associated with church. Uh, and so hearing those guys speak and thinking, I want to be able to communicate how they communicate. Um, that was pro- It wasn't even a leadership thing at that point. It was a communication thing at that point. And I didn't have the the realization that that actually was far more leadership than it was communication. Uh, so it was, uh, I think it was a lot of different strands um, going into the going into the cloth really that uh, I didn't realize at the time was making up a picture or making up a bit of a tapestry. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was a whole multitude of different things. I think one of the key examples would be uh, when Emily Hanna was running a, a young people's event and asked me to be part of that. Uh, and it was that that I just enjoyed. Uh, and it wasn't anything more than that. I think initially it wasn't, I thought this was a great opportunity or it wasn't, I want to do this when I grow up. It wasn't, um, uh, I want to develop this skill. It was just, hey, this stuff is fun. Um, uh, and uh, there was definitely a sense of importance I got out of it because there was responsibility uh, that um, people who knew me wouldn't have given to me. <laughs> so um, uh, so I think it was, it was those moments uh, at the earliest point. And how did that develop then over time um, and how did the calling to be a church leader come um, mm. through those kinds of events and the people around you? So I think through those things there was definitely an excitement that grew uh, and I think because when I was a child none of that really happened when I was at school I wasn't the popular kid I wasn't good at football I wasn't good at all the good stuff you wanted so and so for that point maybe when I was 15 16 to be given that responsibility, that level of excitement grew and I thought, hey, this could be something I could go into. Um, uh, there's a passion there to be able to do this sort of stuff well. But there was a realization as I was growing up that uh, maybe despite all the excitement, despite all the fun, despite there may have been one or two good things that I was starting to realize, hey, I might be able to be good at something. Um, there was a lot of stuff that was missing uh, and there was a lot of, of background, deeper stuff that uh, thankfully, I had people around me to say, hey, actually, there's stuff missing here that uh, that would really help develop you. And a lot of that was just knowledge. A lot of that was character. A lot of that was um, uh, depth. Uh, and so um, I guess all of that led me in some way or another to uh, want to go to um, uh, Moreland's Bible College. After a bit of a search, it was the only place I applied for after school. Uh, it was the only thing I was just like, I mean, I didn't really know fully what it was. I didn't yeah. really know what, I guess my language at that point was I want to work with young people um, just because I was a young person and they were peers and I could see the benefit it had. And that was the experience I was allowed to be given. So I decided that that was a place to go. Uh, I went there for three years and decided that I didn't want to become a youth worker. <laughs> um, uh, so I still did the youth work course, still yeah. continued that, fully yeah. recommend it. Yeah. Uh, lecturers there, phenomenal. Uh, opportunities there, phenomenal. Um, uh, friends I made there, phenomenal. Yeah. Um, so really enjoyed that. But over that three-year course, uh, just um, some real gold in terms of being able to learn. Uh, real gold in terms of having certain opportunities. So really practical course being involved in numerous different churches, had the opportunities to go around the country, around the world, um, see different people and what they do. And on that journey, uh, two of the key uh, key times in which I can remember 
thinking, hey, this is something significant. This is going to be something that I'm going to look back on. Uh, once was One was with the Forge Community Church, in which I now work. Um, so I was able to spend six weeks um, hanging around with the Forge team. Uh, it was just before they started launching locations, which was really significant because of uh, what that went on to. Um, uh, and I can remember thinking, hey, something special is going on here. Um, you, you don't see the levels of growth and the levels of people becoming Jesus followers and the people of unchurched people becoming um, Jesus followers uh, in, in many other places like you do here. And this is like a rural community. So I just found that exciting. Um, uh, I'd never heard churches talk about leadership in the way that the Forge had at that point. Uh, never seen it trump leadership and, and encourage it. And um, so, yeah, was fully excited by that. Uh, and the second one was when I went to Washington, D.C., a church called National Community Church. Uh, some of the best leaders I've ever met. Um, uh, and seeing a church on that scale, uh, having at that point seven locations across Washington, D.C., um, seeing levels of creativity within the church and meeting in theatres and, uh, and all of that stuff, trying, again, that whole idea of trying to become a church that unchurched people really love being a part of. That excited me and there was a, a nerve that was I guess struck that I guess always existed but was never really given a language to yes. uh, and there was a realization that hey if I guess it was sort of a, a narrowing down of what it is that that is my purpose um, and so, so how would you describe that now in kind of you know one sentence two sentences mm. in terms of purpose Mm. if you had to do that. And so I think it would be, so the Forge's vision, it would incorporate that. And so it would be uh, wanting to create church communities that unchurched people love being part of. Uh, and how that looks can look vastly different. So I have great friends down in Bournemouth uh, where uh, there's a lot of work with the homeless community, a lot of work with drug addicts, a lot of work with um, uh, people from, from more deprived areas. And that looks incredibly different to rural white middle class Suffolk. Um, uh, but would all incorporate into that same passion of how is it that we make this accessible? Um, how is it, you know, if, if the model of church that most people know uh, isn't accessible for the people who obviously aren't coming or, or aren't interested or have been hurt, uh, what is it that we can do in order to, uh, yeah, show Jesus to those people? Now, what was it that you saw in the leaders at, at, at Forge uh, Church? By the way, Forge Leadership and Forge Church have... There, oh yeah, that's probably worth mentioning it. Other than that, it's the link. It's the link, isn't it? But same name, different same places. Name, different places. That's different it. People, different organisations. Different, different logo. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> we're doing this stuff together as well. But what is it that you saw in the leaders of Forge and in the leaders in Washington that really inspired you? Mm. What was it in their characters? What was it in they in what they did that made you think oh, I I, I want to be like them? Mm. And so I think it's a multitude of things. I think base base level line, and it's the the typical answer you're going to get. It's going to be the the Christian answer is their faith in Jesus. Um, it's and it was more than just a knowledge of stuff. It was more than just a uh, I grew up and I knew the Bible and, and knew that well. There was a depth of relationship there uh, that was so personal uh, and so so real it was gritty it wasn't smooth and layered up and and, and nice um there was a real uh say as an example my, my, one of my lecturers at Moreland's, ian coffee was once described by someone saying uh ian we trust you because you've got a broken nose and he was it was like hey what's going on you know what's wrong with my nose uh, and he said no 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 it's like you're a boxer when you're a boxer you trust the boxer with a broken nose because you've seen that they've been in the pit a little bit you've seen that they've been beaten up a little bit you've seen that they've had that experience 
and with these people as well, uh, the stories that you see, so um, Mark Batterson in, in Washington, D.C., failed church campus in uh, Chicago uh, before uh, trying again in Washington, D.C., and the story behind that, and you just see the realness of the trust he had in God and, and all the stuff going on there. Uh, Steve Fenning, um, uh, a whole a, a array of different things going on in his life uh, where you can just see a depth of trusting in God. Um, and across actually a lot of the Forge team, when you look at it, there's been a lot of Forge members and um, uh, Forge staff members who have really gone through the mill and have shown a realness in terms of their faith. And so I think base level, um, uh, that would be it. Uh, but on top of that, there's a whole bunch of things. I think one of them would be a level of fun um, that they get. And you think you don't really associate church leadership with fun and it is difficult <laughs> and it is raw and it is painful and you don't get paid for it well, um, uh, you know, in comparison to other organizations maybe. But you see there's a... Um, uh, you see a, a, a level of enjoyment and a level of passion and a level of, hey, this is, this is what I'm called to. Have you ever felt guilty about leaving the office at five to go and work on your side project? Or found the pace of your team strangely slow? The good news is you're not alone. Leading the Millennial Way, a new book co-authored by Forge's own Simon Barrington and Rachel Lutchford. It draws upon original research to identify the current landscape you're leading in, the shared marks of millennial leaders and the impact you have on your sphere of influence. Leading the Millennial Way is being published by SPCK on the 18th of April and you can pre-order the book on Amazon today. So that's really interesting because out of the research, um, millennial leaders were saying that it's all about integrity, it's all about authenticity, it's all about being real, it's all about getting up close with people and actually experiencing going through the difficult times. So you're, you're resonating mm. with that. Do you think that's a general picture for millennials that are, they, they actually want to see people who've, who've got a broken nose, they want to see people who, because actually in my generation, um, it was like, we want to see the superhero leaders. Mm. We want to see those who, you know, are really blazing a trail and, mm. and, and achieving massive um, growth and huge organizations. And we kind of put them up on a pedestal and mm. then enjoyed knocking them down at the same time. <laughs> it seems to be a British thing. Uh, but you're describing a different type of leader. So yes and no, I think we still look for superheroes. Um, in fact, I think all the way through history, we've always looked for superheroes. So even when you look at Hebrew Old Testament, you know, you, you'll know as well that it's the, there's a superhero culture looking for the one person who saves the day. And when you look at Jesus as the ultimate superhero, um, you've talked about your generation. I think even millennials will look for superheroes, but it's what uh, that superhero incorporates. And interestingly, I think, and I would guess, um, uh, that even when you look at superhero movies now, yeah. that would be reflected in that as well. Okay, and so, so when you look at the uh, the old Batmans and yeah. the old superheroes, um, I don't think there is as much as an initial tension of character as much as there are now. And so when you look okay. at the new Batman films, for yeah. example, you yeah. see uh, a really raw, a really gritty, a lot of darkness in terms of that initial character. And there's this redemptive you know, uh, redemptive Batman that becomes 
strong throughout his weakness um, uh, or uh, you know whatever it is and so I think even yeah, within well, the Avengers films yeah there's for a sure. lot of humour now isn't yeah, there yeah for sure absolutely a frailty and yeah and you exactly and you look at the the Tony Stark versus Captain America yeah. sort of civil war that yeah. you get and yeah. the the, the grittiness and the destruction the having to forgive one another and maybe that's just evolution maybe that's always been there I just haven't recognised <laughs> it but I think that's actually reflected in what millennials look for in terms of uh, of superheroes as well there's an integrity there's a there's a greater depth authenticity broken nosesness of um, of what they look for yeah. now in the research one of the massive tensions that we saw was this sense of, yes, we want to see authenticity, and yes, we want to see um, reality, but actually, we're afraid of failing, mm. yeah? And we need approval as well. And so there was this massive tension in millennials between, yes, we, we love that and we see it, um, but actually we're really struggling with doing it ourselves. Is that kind of a tension you you feel as you try and be authentic and try and lead out of a secure identity as a 24 year old you know what are some of the struggles there that that, that you have yeah so it would definitely resonate with that and and uh, it, uh, yeah maybe i'm the type of person who would always say oh yeah i really used to struggle with that but there's <laughs> definitely definitely moments even now where you <laughs> think sorted now yeah. but I mean, like, <laughs> and so ultimately i think none of these issues are um, solely with millennials I think who likes to fail you know really who, who thinks failure is a great thing or, or who doesn't want approval who doesn't want to be told they're doing a great job I think the uh, the significance with the millennials research shows that uh, maybe it's more intense um, maybe the the reasons for those things become uh, come from something a little maybe a little bit deeper as well um, and so uh, the definite the asking of feedback would definitely realize that I want feedback for everything um, uh, and partly that's for me so because I, I want to improve I want to be uh, and so an example of this for example would be uh, uh, after speaking so I do some speaking at um, the church I attend I've done speaking for a little while now and I've always heard people uh, and other speakers say oh look never ask for feedback straight after you've done a talk never ask for it because it's always going to hurt you you know what I mean and uh, you know you want a day to sleep over it and I get it I really do and 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 I think for me I never want negative feedback straight after I've done a talk I always want feedback after I've done a talk um, and so even when I know that I've blown it even when I know I think oh, I just didn't hit my A game that day or I just that, that didn't um, that wasn't executed in the way that I strategized for it I'll still go to certain people because I know they'll be nice. <laughs> you know, it's like I know there'll be like an instant aloe vera on that wound. You know, so uh, I think yeah, definite. Um, and and that definitely um, when when it turns into a cycle can become part of an identity. Uh, it can become an identity of wanting approval and avoiding failure at all costs, or or at least avoiding being perceived as a failure. Um, and maybe that's where it lies in. It's, it's m m the reason maybe uh, people are reluctant of wanting to fail is because they're not wanting to be viewed as a failure. Um, and those things, and in particularly such an immediate world, 
uh, where where everything is so sudden when a, a politician or a celebrity does something or makes a mistake uh, or has an instant success everything is instant um, they can go from and maybe that's something we've seen in terms of earlier you were talking about we used to build these superheroes and knock them down we grew up seeing the immediate where they were superheroes and then they weren't uh, they were uh, nothing and then they were everything they were the slumdog millionaire they were the, the whatever it was and so maybe people now and maybe part of that millennial gap um, now recognize that hey if I fail here I could then just be the failure uh, if I succeed here then I could be the uh, the the big thing or the you know the the whatever it is um, and so I don't think it's as that I don't think that's the language many would people would use but I wouldn't be surprised at all if that was actually what was going on behind the scenes, if that's what was oiling the cogs, as it were. Now, one of the things that you and I have talked about before is is, is about identity and mm. having a security of our identity in Christ. And, and mm. in the uh, interview when we interviewed you for the Millennial Research, you talked something about some of the struggles mm. with that. Uh, can you tell the listeners a little bit about you know some of the wrestles that you've had around identity? Yeah, and so I don't think it's been um, massive in terms of the leadership crippling stuff. Uh, you know, so I don't think the story is the uh, the big. Oh my goodness, I found my identity in finance, and when all my finance went rubbish, then all of a sudden I had nothing, and I had to give my life to Christ after five murders and a you know a deal, you know, doing drug dealing or anything like that. So it's not it's not that, but I think it's the, those subtle moments uh, when you um, it's the subtle moments when you uh, draw away from. Uh, actually remembering that you're a son in uh, son of God uh, and so I can remember speaking to my friend Andrew Ritchie about this and uh, sitting in a cafe with him and he was talking about uh, sometimes he would go to bed and his day you know he would go to bed happy or sad uh, depending on how good a job he'd done and I think a lot of people do that it's not unusual but for him he said why is it that that happens because ultimately however good a job I do I'm still a son of God however bad a job I do I'm still a son of God and that really resonated with me and all the way from when I was 15 16 and I felt important uh, or I felt valued because I was given opportunity and if those opportunities had been taken away what was left of me uh, you know when I went to, to Moreland's uh, and I wanted to get involved in the student body and wanted to get in involvement how I wanted to be perceived it was like if I didn't have certain opinions of me what was left of me uh, if I uh, hadn't got that role what was left of me if I hadn't achieved uh, that mark what was left of me um, and so I guess it's always been that question of hey without that thing what would be left of me uh, and the answer should be if the identity is fully in Christ as uh, as uh, you know as Christ calls us to the answer should always be the same as what was there when it was there, um, ultimately in in, in in the in who you are, uh, and it can, you know it's summed up in Ecclesiastes right at the beginning when it's talking about uh, you know that everything's meaningless, everything's meaningless, and it's sort of this depressing <laughs> literary book, you know this wisdom literature you find in the Bible. Uh, everything's meaningless, everything's meaningless, everything's meaningless. When you die, it's all gone, uh, and I think that can be so resonant to some of the identity issues that you can often find in. Uh, I think in everybody, but maybe particularly this this generation. Um, you know, when you look at the research that, that the Forge Leadership Consultancy stuff's done. Uh, so I think it is that it's that question of hey, without that, what's left? And that's always been a question which I've got to ask myself. Uh, and I think I'm definitely way ahead of where I was uh, three years ago. And I hope that in three years' time, I'll be way ahead of where I am now. And what things have helped you in that journey? You mentioned people like Andrew. You've had other mentors as well, but. 
you know, what, what's helped you in that journey? Yeah, and so definitely people. Um, you know, people help people. And so, uh, you know, Chris Cobbold, Dave Hanna, Steve Fenning, Duncan Banks, um, a multitude of others uh, who, uh, you know, they'll, they'll see through it. You know, even I think if even if everybody struggles with this, they'll always recognize the problem in somebody else. And so having those people, people around will uh, super helpful, super, um, super amazing. Um, so meeting up with Chris Cobbold regularly, it's always it always in some way comes to back you know some some way comes back to that whether it's a different language that we would use with that it always comes back to uh you know when when we ask how are you it's always you know ultimately where are you finding your identity at the moment uh is it in your age is it in whatever is it in uh how well you're doing is it the successes is it how the team's doing is it whatever uh and ultimately it always needs to come back to that We've kind of wrestled with what are the two questions that we're going to ask every millennial leader when they come on this <laughs> uh, podcast. So you've got to write some of these these two questions. Yeah, and I haven't okay. thought about them at all either, which is really stupid of me. But, you know, uh, leaders always go first. Yeah, so, you know, we kind of have to go first and, and actually you have to go first in this instance. So um, what's your greatest excitement? and fear when it comes to leading. And we're going to ask every millennial leader, what's your greatest excitement and fear? So I actually love this question. And so I don't know how to answer it yet. So I'll, <laughs> I'm stalling so I can think of it. But the reason I love this question, I ask every uh, leader that I get to sort of spend time with this question. So I've actually asked you this question. Um, uh, I can remember doing an interview with you at some point, but we were good at that. But um, every leader I ask this because it's, good because it's actually two questions you yeah. get to know their excitement their fear uh, you get to know what they prioritize you get to know how, what their um, uh, yeah what their fears are in terms of leadership as well and I think it reflects them as well so that all said um, uh, love this question um, so I'll start positive greatest excitement uh, in terms of uh, millennial leaders or is it Christian millennial leaders or millennial yeah. leaders in general yeah. Christian yeah. millennial leaders um, I think there is a greater resource than there ever has been. Um, uh, and so whilst previously to learn stuff, maybe you had to open a book or yeah. two books or three yeah. books, yeah. Uh, the multitude of resources from five clicks on YouTube you can get is, I think, unbelievable. Um, you know, great access to theology courses, great access to leadership courses, um, uh, cheaper. <laughs> um, uh, that You know, in the past however many years, it feels like there's been a step up and a greater significance in leadership training uh, from global leadership summits to whatever, yeah. uh, to this. Yeah, uh, so I think the resources available are phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, and with that come a whole bunch of obvious benefits. Mm -hmm. um, I think for me, my greatest fear uh, would come back down to the integrity thing. Um, and, and that's a, a fear in terms of the knowledge of the big, the best way in which I can sink. The biggest way in which I will lose credibility, the quickest will be lack of integrity. So I think it would be the, the biggest fear is seeing that resource, that training, that, that building up uh, be matched with the, um, uh, the holding up high the trophy of integrity and character because uh, when you can match those two things I think it's brilliant and, and I think that's not because I have that but because that's what I see and get excited by uh, so when I see um, uh, the you know the Steve Fennings when I see the Simon Harris's when I see the um, you know the who are even you know the, the soul survivors Mike Pulavacci's and the rest of it it's actually it's a phenomenal skill and the phenomenal competency matched with uh, a, a character and integrity, a depth and authenticity. Uh, so I think it's those two things in tandem. And what we can risk doing, I think, is 
either only saying integrity and character and things are important, and I think that is where it should be based in, um, but then completely ignoring competency and completely ignoring that. And what happens is you get you get really good guys who are rubbish at stuff. Um, or you can completely, maybe more riskily, uh, definitely more riskily, trump competency, uh, trump ability, you know, do all of these different things and then ignore character and ultimately that, that leads to... Um, I know we've seen you know a whole bunch of different examples of where that, uh, where that causes hurt. Brilliant. And the second question is, what's the biggest tension that you would live with in your leadership? <laughs> That's good. So I didn't write this question. <laughs> That's a good one to think about. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> biggest tension, um, biggest tension I find in leadership. If you ask me this next week, I might change my answer. <laughs> biggest tension, off the top of my head, um, I think it would be, and and this, yeah, I think there are a whole bunch of different tensions within leadership, and and some of the fears and stuff that you have as well in terms of what's. Uh, what's encouraged as much as what's important or what's looked for and what's trumped as you know as much so everyone will say oh we we value character we value integrity of course we do we wouldn't value those things but actually what's looked for what's rewarded isn't those things um so that would be one tension i think for me uh from a completely personal perspective uh, i think it would be that experience thing um uh, with we talked earlier about the or I talked earlier about I don't want to lump you in with that because you disagree um, about the immediacy of success and failure uh, and actually how um, you know maybe now more than ever uh, I'm aware people my age have more opportunity than perhaps they've ever done you know uh, I can remember speaking to someone the other week talking about how you get 25 year olds doing multi-million dollar um, stuff and then going home in the pajamas playing the playstation yeah, and it's just yeah, like yeah, so you yeah. have that immediacy uh, of different things and the immediacy of opportunity and having the experience that would offer a natural authenticity um uh, and then and this comes back into the identity thing as well in terms of what you find your identity in whether that matters whether you know what you appreciate what you don't appreciate um and so definitely better at that than i, I was uh, several years ago i mean uh, without mentioning names or places or um, contexts, definitely had people come up to me and let me know really kindly they're praying against my ministry because they don't think I'm experienced enough. <laughs> you just think, thank you for that. You know, it's really kind. Um, had people saying, uh, uh, you know, listen, I'm this age or that age. You can um, you can learn to respect me a little bit more. You know, you can uh, have those experiences where you just think, oh man, this is a, a real tension of experience brings natural authenticity. Uh, and um, or, or at least a, a bit of uh, substance to what you do and, and, and learning uh, how do I manage that tension um, you know how do I uh, how do I appreciate what I've been given do it the best I can whilst be uh, being humble enough to know that I don't know it all being humble enough to realize that there are some things that I can't do and uh, asking for help when I need it uh, whilst at the same time being confident in the abilities I have got being confident in what God has given me being confident in uh, the opportunities that God's given me uh, whilst um, yeah and, and, and giving it the best go knowing that uh, it's it's not those things in which I find my identity in brilliant now um, of the next weeks we're going to be interviewing lots of millennials it's going to be lots of fun uh, yeah what are you and you'll be able to learn a whole lot more than what you've done in the last half an hour for sure <laughs> and, and you're going to help me in asking the questions as well which mm. is great um, what are you looking forward to in in that in, mm. in, in those interviews so i think i, I really enjoy learning um so yeah so i'm i like reading i don't do it as much as i'd like but who does mm -hmm. um I, I you know so i'm studying at the moment 
uh, I you enjoy asking. Masters, yeah, doing okay. that, doing that at the moment. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see if we finish it. That's what, <laughs> that's when it becomes impressive, isn't it? At the moment, like anyone can sign up to something. Um, <laughs> uh, so I really enjoy learning off people. I love asking questions, uh, and so this is just a really fun opportunity for me to be able to do this. And um, uh, yeah, and and so looking forward to that. Looking forward to meeting people and and seeing what makes them tick and and getting the little gems of wisdom that that I haven't got yet. Brilliant. Uh, Johnny Arrow, thank you so much for joining us on the Forge Leadership Podcast uh, today and look forward to journeying with you over the coming weeks. Hey, thank you. Thanks for listening. For more dedicated resources to equip emerging leaders, visit our new website, millennial-leader.com. And don't forget to catch up on the Forge Leadership Podcast at forge-leadership-podcast.com.